I think everybody's here that's going to be here. Welcome. Hey. Hi. We have Paige here. Hello. We have an audience. I like when we have an audience. I like it, but I also don't. We have to have Colton be on our audience, too. Yeah. Sometime. I think that, that would, would be, be fun. fun. I think you would like it. But, yeah. Oh, you're great, Paige. You are <laughs> definitely like, good enough. Fuck you guys. <laughs> we should have, like, just All the whole us. couch. <laughs> oh, that'd be a lot of pressure. That would be a lot of pressure. I think they would struggle maybe to be quiet <laughs> during portions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's okay, I struggle to be quiet too. Yeah, same. So much so that we have a podcast. <laughs> so yeah, we can just yeah. keep Let it fucking out every talking. Week. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? And I just interrupted you, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> I was just going to say for some reason people listen to us and I just <laughs> don't get it. But, um, Never will. I don't really care. What do you want? Mm. What's the mood of yours? Is it like, don't tell me like happy ending, sad ending. I mean, they're all sad. It's a, it's a murder case probably, but is it like a... It's sad. Is there a solution? Do yours first because mine, I think, no. will end on a better note. Yeah, because mine's like one of those that doesn't even have a trial. It's oh. so sad. It's just like, it just is, you know, which is like, yeah. to me, almost like, it's not like it, those are the you're worst not ones. left hanging. Like, we know exactly what happened. But it's just so unfulfilling and depressing in a way. Yeah, let's get that out of the yeah. way. Just like, I'm to, like, excited to hear it, but let's get that. I'm excited done. just because of, like, who it is, which oh. I didn't even know the story until actually Jason was telling me about it. And he was like, like, I'm just going to be vague so I can tell you. Like, yeah, you the have actual... been vague every time I've asked you about it. You haven't yeah, said any names or anything. I'm super excited to, like, show you guys who the main person in the story is because you're going to be like no fucking way and then it's just weird because i never would have even known that this happened to this person like i just well now i need to know i'm excited it's gonna be good so i'm super excited but did you see that post that i shared on facebook about that guy i wanted to talk about this because i (laughs) want everyone's opinion on it um that that guy the post on the guy who ordered his girlfriend's kid to get out of the car oh my god that one made me like sick to my stomach i sick was so infuriated by this like i can't think it was stupid and i only read half the article but because i was just like this is so infuriating but the kid it was fucking raining yeah and he told the kid to get out because he's being unruly and i'm like there he's five he's five every five-year-old's unruly first of all and like what could he possibly have been doing it was so bad he had to get out of the car yeah and then in the rain i think that even said like they got out, He they made him get out of the car, or he made him make, get out of the car, I don't know. And first of all, like, not to be judgy, because I obviously don't know the story, but, like, what the fuck? Like, if no, be judgy. I had a kid, and I was in the car with my new significant other, who wasn't his actual dad or whatever, and he told my kid to get out of the she car. She wasn't in the car. I read the whole thing, because oh, I was, really? like, pissed. And the girlfriend wasn't in the car. It was just the... So the mom wasn't in the car. It was just oh, her she boyfriend wasn't even there. and then the son. So that makes me even more mad. Like, can you imagine trusting this person to take your kid somewhere? And then they made them get out of the car in the rain because they were being unruly. unruly. They were being a kid. And then they he couldn't find the kid after, a, like, a little bit after he got out of the car. He couldn't see him because it was raining and it was dark. And then and he, the like, kid, lost track of him. The kid wandered onto, a like, a highway, highway and got hit by a car. And they were even saying, like, somebody commented on it and was like, I want to know about the person who was driving the car. And I was like, they were not at guilt. It was fucking raining. Like, at guilt, at fault. Yeah. I'm like, 
and how are you gonna he's five he's probably like what five tiny four feet tall not even yeah no, probably not even. even smaller so it's like in the dark so yeah. and why would you expect a five-year-old to be on the freeway like could you you could even stop yeah exactly there's and with it raining there's no way you could even attempt i feel like no to stop it's just so sad like yeah that hurt me i'm just like what the fuck and that guy was like an army oh really sergeant or something yeah he was like high up in the military dang and i think he was like still enlisted but now he's probably gonna get discharged but he's like pending trial and i'm like that guy needs to go to fucking like it's his fault it's a hundred percent and he's being tried with murder good because wherever it happened they have this clause where basically if you do something that results in someone's death it can be tried as murder too good and the kid literally wouldn't have died had he not gotten out of the car and he wouldn't have gotten out of the car if he wouldn't have been told to get out by an adult right just like ugh. yeah that bugged me hated that i didn't like that at all i opened it and it like ruined my day for a good chunk of it yeah "Mm -hmm." I try to mm-hmm. post, like, true crime news just because I think it's interesting. Even, like, the smaller cases we'll never mm-hmm. cover. And, plus, we can always go back through and, like, see if there's updates on some of the things we posted. But sometimes it's just depressing. Like, yeah. I Google a lot, like, to find posts for our Facebook. I Google, like, true crime news, literally. Mm-hmm. And then I look on the different websites that pop up. And some of the things that are posted are, like, fucking tragic as hell. Like, they're almost always, the top ones are always with children. Ugh, I and I'm them. like, I, I don't want to do endless posts about children dying. Like, I feel like I don't do a lot of cases about kids just because I hate hearing about them. Yeah. I just hate it. It's just they're upsetting. Not, they're less, in, they're not less interesting, but like. They're more like it's upsetting. Not, yeah. Which is funny because my can't case right now is going to be about a child. Cool. Thanks, Celia. <laughs> Thanks. It's, oh, it's good. Okay. Maybe we'll start it. I feel like a lot of times your cases, not maybe a lot of times, but you have a lot of like kidnappings or yeah. this and that too. And mine are usually the pretty standard. That's good murder, though. But I like that we have different styles. I feel like you've done different stuff too though. Like you did kidnapping and you did the prison riots and stuff. Oh, that one was fun. We should do more like, because I feel like true crime is such a wide genre. Yeah. That we could, true crime could be like mobsters true crime could be like Ooh. like uh um, that would be cool what the fuck am i trying to say what are the people cartels oh so i think who, who like, are the people know. that peddle drugs <laughs> what are those <laughs> gangs called <laughs> those fellas called yeah we'd like something cartel related like that would be really like cool. families in mexico or something like there's always kidnappings and crazy shit that happens there you know so that could be cool just do it so, I liked Jason's too. That story oh, yeah, that was of the different. military members. That was fucked up. Okay, we just touched toes. That was, that was weird. special. Yeah. Okay. I want to tell you guys. I'm gonna start my case because I'm okay. legitimately so excited. Go. So, okay, okay. I gotta adjust. This is gonna be loud on the mic, but oh well. Okay. So this is the story of Judith Eva. RC and you guys aren't gonna know who that is right now but when I tell the story is it like a celebrity kind of I mean she was a kid so she's a child celebrity um she was in movies and tv shows but she did a lot of voice acting so I'll tell you some of the classics that she was in and you're gonna be like wait what the fuck okay and then to find out like that 
now she's going to be in this true crime podcast, which is upsetting. But like, I never would have known that this even existed. So her parents are Joseph and Maria, and they were both Hungarian immigrants, and they were fleeing their home country to the United States looking for refuge because Hungary was um, going through like a revolt at the time. And so I kind of looked up to see what like what this was about and why they were fleeing. And so I guess in 1956, there was a huge uprising in Hungary. It started as a bunch of college students, but basically people were revolting against the Soviet imposed policies. So Russia at the time was kind of spreading their grasp of the countries around Russia, and they were interfering in a lot of other governments in other countries. They were wanting to be in control of more than just their own country. Um, Like Russia interfered a lot with Czechoslovakia, they interfere a lot in Romania and other states, Ukraine, things like that. So at the time, they kind of had their clutches on Hungary and the students and the people that lived there were done with it. They were like, we don't want anything to do with Russia anymore. We're our own country. We want our own government. We just want to be left alone. Fair. So it's 1956 and basically the revolt that um, our main people were fleeing was only lasting like three to four weeks but what transpired during those three to four weeks was really violent Mm -hmm. so first day of the revolt starts as a simple student protest but as the day goes on it grows by the thousands and that first day a few people actually end up dying and what happens is the news of these students getting killed whether by accident whether on purpose like spread like wildfire and people use that to be even more like see look how unjust this is we're just trying to protest and people are dying because of it and that's fucking bullshit so that caused the future protests over the coming days to get even more violent and even more like rowdy and like rioting was going on and it was just getting really scary and so over the course of the few weeks that this is going on the government in hungary pretty much collapses Um, So this is kind of what they're trying to get away from. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. So Joseph and Maria end up fleeing. They actually didn't know each other at this time. They just so happened to be fleeing the country that they both lived in. Together? No. So they fled separately, but they fled at pretty much the same time because this is the same time a ton of people left. That makes sense. Why would they flee together if they didn't know each other? (laughs) Right, I'm understanding. I'm tracking. So one of them left. Joseph left and he went to France. I don't know exactly what Maria did if she went straight to the United States or what went on, but eventually they both end up in the United States um, at one point. So they didn't know each other, like I said, but they had similar goals that they wanted to achieve. They were looking to start a new life. They wanted to be able to have a family and not have them be subjected to the same things that they struggled with as children and adolescents. Um, And they ultimately just wanted to be relatively successful, like I don't think they wanted anything crazy, but they just wanted a life that was different than they grew up with. So um, Joseph goes on to France and he ends up getting married there in France and Maria ends up marrying too. I just don't know where. Um, But after all is said and done, both of them end up getting divorced, um, but they were previously married before they met each other. So they end up meeting at a restaurant that Maria works at in California. So Throughout all of the different things that they go through, they end up living in the same state, and this is how they cross paths. So she works at a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So she is, the restaurant that 
they meet at is like a popular place for immigrants. And so that's why she worked there because she felt comfortable being around people that she feels like she can relate to. And then he would frequent that restaurant as well. For the same reasons. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's kind of interesting. Like you've got two people from a foreign country that end up meeting in a completely different country. And like, obviously they're going to connect right away. Like they have the same accent. They speak the same language. They probably know exactly where each other grew up. They're both divorced. Yeah. Literally. They're the same person, basically. Pretty much. So... Their relationship begins after they meet. Um, Pretty quickly, they end up getting married in 1977. So some accounts say that Joseph seemed rich and that that was something that drew Maria to him, which sounds kind of like, I don't know why. I don't like it sounds, but. I don't like it either. And I couldn't really even verify it, but that was in a YouTube video that I watched. Like that was a comment that got made. So I don't know. I guess the way it was described is like he exuded confidence and he dressed nice and he just looked like which i guess would be something you would be drawn to if you were looking for that like successful life that's very different from what you know exactly so i could see that and there were other comments too like about how maria wanted to be successful maybe financially too so maybe that was something that made her talk to him quicker per se i don't know but They end up getting married. It's 1977, and pretty quickly after they get married, um, Maria gets pregnant. Hmm. So I want to kind of talk about both of their upbringings because they're super important in this case. So Joseph hadn't really had an easy life up until this point. So being an immigrant in a new country, um, as in, I think he got to the United States when he was 19 or something like that. So still fairly young and like, impressionable and like wanting to make friends and stuff like that and it was really difficult for him because he had such a thick accent and he got made fun of a lot for it and it pissed him off which is fair um and even before he moved to the united states he was plagued by an incredibly low self-esteem he did not think very highly of himself and when he was younger he grew up never meeting his father he was considered you have to remember like i think he was born in the 30s and so it's a different culture and a different and honestly he's in a completely different country too and so it was he was looked down upon because he was considered a bastard child somebody who didn't know his dad you know his mother had a child out of wedlock this was all considered unacceptable in the society that he grew up in so it's just like one more thing like to add to his plate Um, and so all throughout school, he was bullied relentlessly. And the article that I found said that he wasn't even just bullied by students. The teachers bullied him too. That's messed up. Yeah. So all this like bullying and abuse, um, led him to kind of develop not like severe mental health from the get go, in my opinion, but definitely caused him to think a lot less of himself than maybe had he not grown up that way. Um, So he was kind of a sensitive guy, and there's even an article that goes on to say that somebody who knew him commented that they think he hated his mother because the comment that gets made is he hated his mother because he felt like she allowed the father to abandon them, that it was her fault that the dad left. Okay, I don't think that really makes sense, but... I don't ever and it's weird because it's like you think of like stories like um Ed Kemper 
which we'll have to talk about one day. But yep. with Ed Kemper, I mean, he hated his mom. I feel like that's a pretty common thing in people who commit not so great yeah. um, things. Just yeah. people who do bad stuff. Mm-hmm. They hate their moms. Yeah. There's like sexual abuse usually. Mm-hmm. Like the serious. Brain injury. Yeah. But it's definitely one of the top ones that's like a common. And it's interesting because in this case, I mean, he was pretty severely bullied. And there's not a ton of information on you know his upbringing i was only able to find a couple articles so who knows if he was physically bullied or if this was just verbal and things like that so if he was physically abused i mean he could have had some kind of traumatic brain injury from his childhood and his elementary years couple that with his mommy issues and all that it's just not really the best childhood mixing pot of Mm -hmm. events yeah exactly that's good So Maria's life, it didn't seem to be much easier. There's a lot less information on her, but there is an article. um, There's this website I found. It's kind of weird, but it's called real life villains dot. What? I don't know what the middle word is, but it's dot something dot org. I'll put it in our podcast bio, but it stated that she had suffered physiological and physical abuse from her father. And so Mm. it's kind of like, two peas in a pod in a way so they really are the same person yeah kind of she has daddy issues and he has mommy issues exactly so just flip them and they're the same so it's probably something that drew them together for sure like probably being able to confide confide in each other about these things Mm -hmm. so early in their marriage they like i said earlier they got pregnant pretty quickly after getting married so they got married in 77 and in 78 judith is born so her name is judith eva barcy and she's born in los angeles california on june 6th so she was a bright and beautiful young girl her parents wanted nothing but for her to be successful and i'm sure that they hoped that she could avoid some of the turmoil that they experienced in their childhood so at this point in time joseph was beginning to develop a drinking problem and he had a tendency to be a bit paranoid Um, This was likely due to all the abuse and the bullying he experienced, but like we all know, covering your mental illness with alcohol really just makes it worse. Yeah. So. It's not a good fix there. Yeah. You can already kind of tell it's not starting off great. No. And it gets made worse by the fact that Joseph has a lot of secrets that Maria did not know about when they got together. Solid. So they obviously knew that both of them had been previously married. But what she didn't know was that he was physically abusive towards his last wife. So good. They met back in France when he first left Hungary. He went to France first before coming to the United States. And he met a young woman named Klarna. I want to say her name was either Karna or Klarna, but I can't remember. Hmm. I want to say that it's Klarna, but I typed it wrong. So if it's wrong, I'm sorry. But the two of them actually had two kids together, so Judith isn't his first daughter. Wait, she doesn't know? Um, I think Maria knew about the two kids, okay. but she didn't know about the abuse and what led them to separate. That's, yeah. So they had a son. Gotta remember, this is a different country. So, um, <laughs> their first name, their first son's name is Barna. <laughs> Interesting choice, but okay. And their daughter's name was Aggie. That's kind of cute. I think it's Aggie. I don't know. Hope so. I should do we'll just stick with that. that, but we'll call her Aggie. Cool. So like this is actually where Joseph's drinking problem started. The he kids? what? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> the kids didn't have a drinking problem, Jenna. <laughs> well, they probably do now, honestly. But so uh, 
they are living in France and they're young kids. They're trying to have a successful marriage, you know, Joseph and this other woman. Mm -hmm. And they actually end up fighting pretty bad during the beginning of their marriage. And Joseph starts being physically abusive towards Clarna. So they leave France and they come to New York City. I don't know exactly why. Um, I think they were kind of trying to get away from their life, like hoping that if they could just move to a new place, maybe it would be a fresh start for them and they yeah. can start over in their relationship. So in New York City, the abuse doesn't stop like Clarna hopes it's going to. And over time, he actually begins abusing his son as well. Mm. And at that point, Clarna's like, fuck this. Like, That's it's one thing straw. for it to be me, but not the kids. So she flees across the country. She leaves New York and goes to Arizona. Joseph follows her there and tells Psycho. her, yeah, he says that he wants to fix the relationship. And, you know, this being probably pretty serious, like physical and mental abuse, Clarna wants to make it work because this is the father of her children so they give it one last go but there is literally no hope left he's still abusive he's still toxic as fuck probably still drinking and so Klarna ends up filing for divorce and when she tells him in a fit of rage he freaks the fuck out and throws an iron a cast iron skillet at her oh my god which those bitches are heavy tangled Mm -hmm. it knocks a bitch out knocks a bitch out and so yeah, that's how that ended. That and she was like, "Fuck this, I'm We're done. not gonna do that again." Yeah, so they filed for divorce, and it's shortly after the divorce that Joseph moves to California, gets a new job, and meets Maria, and has Judith, and seems wonderful. Yeah, so that's upsetting. It's we're not painting the best picture about Joseph no. here, and we it's don't only like him. Gonna get worse. We no, don't like him at don't all. Don't like him at all. No, so. I'm not entirely sure exactly when the abuse of his second wife, Maria, starts. Um, judging by his history, I'm guessing it probably didn't take very long for him to start abusing her as well. Right. Um, Maria had different plans for her life. Despite her often drunk and violent husband, all she wanted was for her daughter, Judith, to be happy and successful. Um, so she gets Judith ready to become an actress, and she starts this kind of like preparation like weirdly early which I guess in the industry is pretty normal like yeah like if that's a goal you have for your kid you better start early because otherwise there's a good possibility they'll never make it and they'll never get used to like being on camera and like reading a script and she knows this because she researches it and so she starts putting Judith through like acting classes and teaching her how to be poised and having proper etiquette and things like that And, like, weirdly enough, Judith is really, really good at it. And she likes the structure. And she likes the stability. there you go. And so she kind of thrives doing this. So something I wanted to, like, kind of note is some people kind of judge Maria for putting Judith through this. But for me personally, like, reading about the entire case, it kind of seems like at this point, Joseph was already abusive. And so... I think the acting classes and the auditions and all of this, like, being out of the house. gave something else. Yeah, it, like, gave Maria, like, a sense of purpose separate from him. Mm -hmm. It was something that was hers and she was in charge of and she got to manage. And it was something that got Judith away from him, frankly. And And gave her hope for her future for later, too. Exactly. Like, I really think that Maria didn't mean anything ill by this. I think she really just wanted to set Judith up for success, like, however she knew how. And they lived in Los Angeles. So it's like, it's like 
one of the most common things that people want to do there is to become famous. Like people move to LA to seek out this kind of lifestyle. So Judith, she was a beautiful young girl. I'll post pictures on our Instagram, but there are interviews with her neighbors and family friends that say that she had literally perfect manners, that she was like the sweetest thing. People said that she was an angel. Like they wish their kids were as good as her or things like that. So I found a awesome YouTube video about the case by Eleanor Neal. She's got a hundred, no, sorry, 1.23 million subscribers. So I've only seen a couple of her videos, but I highly recommend it because this video on this case was super well done. So in her video, she kind of talks about Judith a ton and she gives a ton of information like her favorite colors were pink and purple. She loved Care Bears and Smurfs and her favorite thing to do was to play outside. So cute. So Judith made friends in the neighborhood really, really quickly, and she was a super social girl. And she talked to her friends and neighbors and stuff a lot, just would blabber to them about what she was doing. She's and... a Gemini, so. Exactly. Of course so she does. the acting classes and the auditions continued for Judith. And like I said, she was a natural at it. So by the age of five, Judith was discovered at a local ice skating rink. They went to go skating, Maria and Judith, and there was a camera crew there that were filming a commercial. And so the producer or the casting director, whoever, saw Judith and was like, she would be perfect. Like, she's tiny. She's super, super sweet. She's so polite. And so this is how Judith gets discovered. And following this um, discovery, her career literally blows up at five years old. Jeez. Yeah. So she appears in 70 different commercials and guest stars on television, and then she does a ton of voice recording. So Judith was super, super small, just she was tiny in stature. So even as she got older, like seven, eight, nine years old, she still looked like a four or five-year-old. And so they could cast her as these super young roles, but be able to talk to her like Mm -hmm. more like an adult and like give her direction and she would listen. So it was perfect for the directors because- Because they can have these kids do more like intricate roles. Exactly. She could read. I mean, she could do everything that an older kid would do, but she looked like a four-year-old. So it was perfect. Because one of the hardest things with casting in that regard is like, if you need a kid to play a three-year-old, like, good fucking luck getting a three-year-old to do anything you tell them yeah. to do. But Judith could kind of fill those spots for them. So I'm going to show you guys that right now. I'm going to share it in our comments, but I will play it for you guys. One of the most popular movies that she was in. What is your name? <gasps> Baby, you cannot talk yet. Huh? Huh? Don't you know anything? Long necks don't talk to, or whatever you are. Me? I'm a long neck too, see? And I have a long tail like you. (laughs) All right. I'm not a long neck, I'm a big mouth. But I am all alone, I am. She plays Ducky in The Land Before Time, which was one of my favorite movies of all time when I was younger. Mm. I've seen like every single one of those. 
And then she's also in a few other movies. She's in Jaws, The Revenge. So I think that's one of like the second or third of the OG Jaws, Jaws movies. They, they get me. So that one came out in 1987. And then you remember the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven? Oh, I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about, yes. Yep, so she's in that. She plays one of the main girls, um, Anne-Marie. That comes out in 1989. And then she's in another movie that I don't know what it is, but it's called Eye of the Tiger, and I guess she plays a big role in that, too. That's 1986. So... So she's successful. Yeah, she's super successful. So she actually goes on to make a six-figure income at nine years old, legitimately. But the more successful Judith gets, the more violent, obsessive, and paranoid that her dad gets. So he's drinking more than ever, and he's acting, like, literally fucking crazy. So he ends up getting arrested on three different occasions for drunk driving. He's being increasingly physically abusive to Maria, and he's starting to do that fucking crazy significant other shit where it's like, if you ever leave me, I'll fucking kill you. Don't even think about leaving me. Like, what would you even Gross. do without me? You'd be nothing. Like, fucking disgusting. Okay, like, but, like, look at us without you would yeah, be like, better, though. Like, who, you? <laughs> he was, like, a plumbing contractor. Like, <laughs> ooh, special. Like, you are bringing this family down, dude. Like, exactly. Like, legit. You're the weak link. Absolutely. And in the articles that I read, like, that's kind of what pisses him off is, like, he makes nothing compared to his kid eight-year-old nine-year-old daughter and because of it he's growing more and more bitter and resentful towards judith and so just like in his previous relationship the abuse is not just something that maria has to deal with he's being physically and emotionally abusive to judith as well some neighbors even said that like as she gets more and more successful he starts mocking judith picking on her like There was one incident that was in the YouTube video that I watched where allegedly a neighbor said that he came outside while Judith was playing with like a little kite and it was up in the air, but because she's so small and it's so small that it was like within arm's reach of him. So he grabs the kite down from the air and Judith is like crying because she's playing with her fucking kite and he breaks it in front of her and says, it's because you're fucking spoiled. Like, can you imagine being like a grown ass man and like, tormenting acting a girl a like a little girl because like acting like that just because you're like literally jealous and like yeah insecure about your own legitimately self. like it's like maybe if you didn't suck this wouldn't be you wouldn't such a problem hate yourself <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> that's so funny okay so yeah he fucking sucks is moral of the story so the abuse and the drinking eventually leads maria to report him to the local police She tells the police that he's been physically abusive towards her, and he tells them that he even threatened to kill her and Judith. Police investigate the claims, but apparently find no signs of abuse. Okay. At the end of it, um, Maria decides not to press charges against him. And in my opinion, I don't know if this is true, but I would like to think that the conversation was probably like, good luck pressing charges because we didn't find this to be accurate. So she probably gives up at that point. Um, She doesn't have the people that are supposed to be protecting her, backing her up by this. So she ends up not going through with it. But her going to the police actually kind of scared Joseph a bit. It kind of made him realize that he didn't have quite the level of control over Maria that he probably thought he did. Um, And it made him realize that she was willing to go to the police, which is a problem for him. 
Yeah. So before the shooting for one of the movies, Jaws, that she stars in, Maria claims that Joseph said, if you decide not to come back, I will cut your throats. Oh. Yeah. So it was clear that Joseph was consumed with anger and hatred towards his own family, whether this was because he was actually afraid of them leaving because of his abuse and abandonment or because he was just fucking evil. We are not ever really going to know. So Judith begins suffering mentally and physically, understandably, from the constant abuse and arguing and threats that are being made. So she was performing beautifully for cast and crew, but at home she begins suffering from trichotillomania. Oh, was that the hair one? Yes. So it's the disorder that causes someone to pluck out their own hair. For Judith, she was pulling out her eyelashes, and there's even reports that she was pulling out whiskers on her cat. Just as, like, an anxiety thing. Um, She was also putting on weight, and she even told one of her friends, like, in the neighborhood that her dad had given her a nosebleed by throwing pots and pans at her. Oh. Yeah. That's just so sad. It's so sad. So, Judith ends up having a mental breakdown during an audition. I think it's for Jaws. Um, She's nine fucking years old, and they're asking her to read a script, and she literally just breaks down in tears. She's having a panic attack. She can't breathe, like, and her agent is like, what the fuck? Like, you guys need to go to a therapist. Like, this is not, she's not okay. This is not, like, nerves or stress. Yeah, this is something else. So in their visit to a child psychologist, the doctor quickly realizes that there's abuse happening in the family. It literally takes one visit. And they're like, this is not good. So Better investigation than the police did. Yeah, but. seriously. So the doctor refers, or doesn't refer, what the fuck. The doctor <laughs> reports them to Child Protective Services to get them the help that they need. And at this point, it becomes pretty clear to Maria that she needs to get Judith out of the situation. Yeah. Um, they're both suffering, and Maria decides that, no, I'm done with this. Like, fuck this. So... Maria begins starting the divorce process and was getting ready to move to Panorama City Apartments, which is just an apartment complex a ways away from their current home together. Maria's friends are thrilled for her and they really want her to follow through with this and they want to keep herself and her daughter safe from their violent and paranoid father. However, as it often happens in abusive relationships, Maria ended up not following through with her plan. She was terrified to lose all of her belongings. She was afraid to break up the family, and she was probably a bit scared of leaving Joseph, which sounds strange, but that's really common in abusive relationships. Um, And she's being psychologically tormented every single day to make her believe that she can't leave him. So it's not really surprising that she's going to have moments where she thinks maybe this isn't a good idea because he does nothing but tell her this isn't a good fucking idea for you. So... It's Monday, July 25th. It's 1988. And Joseph crawls out of bed and he grabs a gun from somewhere in the home. He sneaks into Judith's room as she sleeps, soundly in her bed. He points the barrel of the gun at his small 10-year-old daughter and he shoots her in the head. So Maria wakes up in the other room and she starts running down the hall to check on Judith. And she sees Joseph standing in the hallway. While we're never going to really know what conversation followed in the hallway, I'd like to imagine that she probably asked him, like, what's going on? Like, is she okay? Instead of explaining or apologizing or calling 911, Joseph turns the barrel to his wife and shoots her, too. So... What an evil person. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. And it's almost made worse because 
even after doing this, he doesn't even do anything about it for two days. He literally continues living in the house. He wanders around the home for two days um, in denial and also kind of like attempting to make plans for himself. He ends up calling Judith's agent on Tuesday, so the next day, and saying, this isn't a direct quote, I like kind of added to make it full, but he says, I'm really going to leave this time. I'm going to move out for good. I just need time to say goodbye to my little girl, who he already fucking killed. Ew. Yeah. So you have to wonder, like, what is going on in his brain? Kind of seems like a bit of a mental break in a way. Like, not that it excuses it at all, but it just seems like so... It's either so far from reality, like, that he has convinced himself that he was right and that this isn't really happening, or it's just a sick, twisted fucking person deliberately lying to somebody to cover his own tracks. You know, like... Yeah, we'll never really actually know. Yeah. Which sucks. So, after those two days are up, I want to say it's probably Wednesday, but Joseph proceeds to pour gasoline over the dead bodies in the home. Um, He walks in... Well, he sets them on fire, and then he walks into the garage, and he shoots himself in the head as well with a thirty-two caliber pistol. I mean, good, but not good. Yeah. I want you to suffer, too. And it's, like, longer than that. All of that for fucking what? Just whenever I hear stuff like that, and I think we've said this like before on the podcast, I'm sure, but like just skip the killing of your family. If you plan on killing your family, just skip it and kill yourself first. Legitimately. And like, like like I don't condone suicide. Like that's not me saying that. But if you're going to kill your family, don't and just kill yourself first. What if you just didn't? Yeah. I think it's like such a control thing. It's very much like it's disgusting. If I can't have them, no one can. And then he killed them and realized that he's not going to get away with it. And so he just takes, and I'm going to say it because I can, dad, but he <laughs> takes the pussy way out. He does. And he fucking kills himself because he can't own up to what he's done. Exactly. That so, hurts. Yeah, it hurts my heart. So, like, it's really fucking sad when something like this happens, but, like, Every story we talk about on our podcast is sad, but there's something about, like, listening to the steps of a family annihilator's process and kind of watching it escalate and build. Mm-hmm. And from the outside and in hindsight, we're able to say, like, look at all those warning signs. But, but when you're in it and that's, mm-hmm. like, the life you're living, it's not easily, yeah. like, spelled out on paper for exactly. you. Exactly. And plus, like, you have to think, like, Maria didn't have all the info that we had like she probably didn't know that he was already an abusive person like and i'm sure he was psychologically manipulating her to believe that you know you're being abused because of you you, not because of me and so a lot of people kind of talk about why didn't she get away from him why would she let her daughter go through things like that and it's just important she was also going through stuff though yeah absolutely she was also a victim and that's what people don't realize is like it's not as simple as people from the outside like like to make it believe. And it's the people that make those comments so often have never even been in a relationship of that magnitude to even be able to say like, but then on the other hand, you also get the women that are like, I have been abused and I never would have let my kid. And it's like, but everybody's experience is their own experience. Yeah. Like regardless of what trauma 
I've gone through. It doesn't say anything about the trauma you've gone through or what you could have done or should have done. So it's really hard, like, researching cases like this because you read a lot of comments of people talking shit about them and, like, trying to pick it apart and say, well, she should have. As if they were there and they lived her life. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know. It's the same thing with grief. Like, you don't know how you're going to react. Mm-hmm. You don't know how you're going to react in any situation. Like, exactly. It's, it's unique to each person. And it's tough. Like, the, I think the only thing that I could, like, definitively say is, like, the police should have fucking done something the first time right. that, you know, honestly, if the police, maybe they hadn't even arrested him, but had they called CPS... And then the second CPS visit would have been the second visit. And they would have had more evidence to support, you know, because the police said that they couldn't find anything. And then the second or the first CPS visit happens and it's a one time thing. So they can't just like escalate to taking Judith the first time that they're called. But had that been the second time, maybe something more could have been done to protect them. But, you know, the police investigated and didn't find any truth to what she was saying which i'd like to understand how that happened but yeah it's just and it's hard too because you have to think like in a lot of the research i did neighbors said that they had a feeling something was going on like had they asked the neighbors in their Mm -hmm. investigation exactly obviously there was evidence there there was Mm -hmm. i i don't know yeah could have been different should have been different yeah definitely isn't that fucking sad? Yeah, that hurt. And now it's like anytime I think about any of those movies, like you just will never think of them differently. You're like, well, and I didn't know. Now any this of is that. terrible for me. Yeah, I didn't know any of that except me and Jason were sitting like in the kitchen the other day, and he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of like when you know the voice actor that played Ducky in Land Before Time was murdered." And I was like, I'm sorry, huh? the what from who was murdered? I have heard of it briefly. Like, I've heard yeah, of, that is the extent of what I've heard. And I've never heard any of the backstory, and I didn't expect that one because I, I didn't even remember it when you were telling me it was yeah. someone famous. I was trying to think of all these like yeah, other like what things. cases. Mm-hmm. That's not not what I thought of. Yeah, that one. That was a good surprise. Well, no, you <laughs> no. I take that back. Cut that out. Cut that out. The way that you went about telling me was a good way to tell me I was surprised by who it was. By who it was. That makes sense. <laughs> the case itself was not a good surprise <laughs> i'm sorry <sighs> yeah okay. i say the best things always it's like word vomit as soon as a record starts yeah no like... and then I, literally like at least 20 times per episode i'm like right after something comes out i'm like oh no like please if i hear that back i'm gonna get uncomfortable Okay. I get like itchy as soon as, yep. or I get like hot. Yeah, when I say something, your face gets a little and red. I'm like, who am I embarrassed? Like, w- there's no one here, but I know what I said, and I know how stupid it was. I know I didn't want to say it. Yeah, but I did. Yeah. So good surprise. Thank yeah, you. You got me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited for yours. You only told me a teeny, teeny, teeny bit about it, but I did. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just like really brief though, when we were sharing like which cases we were doing. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. All right, are you ready for my case? I am ready. I am, I don't know why, I'm like weirdly nervous to tell mine today, but I think it's because I just liked it so much. See, so like you want it to be I perfect. want it to be right, and I don't think it's going to come out right, so. Nah. Uh, sorry. Mine never uh, <laughs> Every time I'm like, this is so depressing. This is the one. Every time I'm like a little bit disappointed in myself, <laughs> like seriously. But the thing is, I'm always proud of you, and I feel like 
I hope you're always proud of me. I'm always proud of you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I always feel like it's just. I think we just have issues. Yeah. <laughs> like every time we record, we're like, "This is so awful. Everybody hates us." True. Well, welcome to my life. Okay, so my case today is the case. It's um the murder of Angela Samoda. In this case, it's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. It's sad, heartbreaking, violent, and honestly, it's like the true fear of I feel like most young women. Really? It's that classic. This is what's gonna happen to you. Oh, if Jesus. you're not like this, is just this is the what it's like being a- what it's like being a young woman in any, anywhere, just anywhere in the, the world, anywhere. being afraid of people. That's so fucking and upsetting. What could happen to you? Because this is real and it happens to people all the time. That's like what I feel like our podcast is a lot because oftentimes it's women, pretty much yeah. always, and women and kids, women and children, and it's just really. It's important, I guess, in a way, because, I mean, obviously, we don't want to be crazy paranoid as people, but at the same time, like, unfortunately, until the world is a different world, the world we live in right now is one that we all need to be very vigilant when yeah. we're going places. And-, and, and like, with this case in specific, not saying that any of this is her fault. Yeah. But there are certain things that we can learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. we can know better for our own selves. Yeah. For practice, our own lives. Practice it, but, like, live more cautiously. And it Safe. sucks that we have to be cautious and yeah. careful about everything we do, but... We do, we unfortunately. Do. Which is bullshit, but... I'd rather be careful than dead, so... Yeah, 100%. That's so do fucking true, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, better to be careful than dead. So... Mm. Yeah, what so this world. one's got a lot to learn, and not only... Do I think you have, like, there is a portion that you can learn from preventing, but also how this case was handled. Yeah. I think that you'll see when I tell you what mm-hmm. ends up happening. The way that it was handled is how it should be handled yeah. with the passion that everyone should have for every case. Well, that's good. So, I'm excited to tell you. I'm excited to. So, Angela was born on September 19th, 1964 in Almeida, California. I probably said that wrong. I think it's Alameda. Um, Almeida. 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 I might be wrong, too. We'll say Almeida. Almeida, California. And she was the youngest of five siblings. Now, there isn't a ton of information about her childhood and how she grew up, but we do know that she didn't have a father growing up, and, but despite that, she still grew up to be super smart, super beautiful, super kind. Like, she was perfect. Like, I'm going to pull up a picture of her real quick just because I want you to see. And we'll yes. post pictures on probably on our Facebook. and Definitely. But let me show you what she looked like because I just want you guys to know. And I know I've said that before, but, like, tell me she isn't just, like, the cutest thing. Aww. Like, look at her. She's, She's got, so like, cute. bright blue eyes. Like, she is the perfect like, triple threat is what she's described as, like, smart, pretty, and nice. I'm going to post a picture on our Instagram right now. Do it. Okay. And because she was so intelligent, she actually ended up going to school. Um, she was studying computer science and electrical engineering at yeah. Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And this was, so she was born in the 60s. So this is like in the 80s. 
early 80s that she mm-hmm. was going to school. So at the time, she was like one of the only women in her field of study. You know, like not a lot of women were studying yeah. computer science and stuff like that. Damn. So she was like smart, smart. That's like a power move. Yeah, Seriously. Like, like, go Angela. Mm-hmm. Like just being like, I don't care. Don't care. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I want to do. And yeah. she did it. And she was like, on top of that, she also was like in a sorority and she was like the social chair of it. Like she was perfect. <laughs> I can't find anything saying anything bad about her. Like she was yeah, what everyone aspires to be. It's kind of like those cases like literally I just posted a meme about this the meme I posted oh I thought about this one too don't ever say that I light up a room don't ever say (laughs) that I was so kind because I wasn't but she seriously is she is that one those dateline episodes where they're like can you tell me about her and they're like she just walked in and she was so beautiful she just shined like a light yeah literally this was like that's how everyone describes her like that so it's not just like a made up for for tv to sound like a better story like yeah. no she really was that person um so she did make a lot of friends when she was in college and one of them being her roommate sheila waisaki mm-hmm. um at first angela and sheila really didn't hit it off because angela was like we said more of the type to go out see friends go to parties like social, be butterfly. social yes but sheila was more of a homebody mm-hmm. and like they were like be left alone literally yeah. and like they were such polar opposites that, like, even, like we said, Angela was really, like, studious and, like, to learn. And Sheila, like, I'm pretty sure she had dyslexia. Like, she wasn't really So they were that... very different. Yeah, so they just, like, didn't quite vibe in the yeah. beginning. Um, also, at the time when she first, so this is their freshman year, mm-hmm. when they are roommates. Um, <laughs> and they were roommates. <laughs> they were roommates. <laughs> um, Angela was dating this guy and his name was lance johnson Mm -hmm. and sheila did not like lance she did not like lance because lance was not nice so oh shit fair that's so awkward though like when your roommate hates the guy you're dating and roommates can make that shit so awkward (laughs) like you walk in you're like hey and they're like hmm you're like oh hi lance hi lance (laughs) or it's like when they say hi to you but not the person (laughs) So I imagine that's how it was, like, all the time yeah. in their apartment, because she just really didn't like Lance, but rightfully so, yeah. because he was really controlling over Angela, and abusive, he was abusive. Like, that's, he that's the is, deal with That's the fucking theme right now. Yeah, gotta love it. Jesus. Not fun. But he was even said to have set her clothes on fire at one point. And pull a knife out on her. What the On Angela. Fuck? So, yeah, I wouldn't like Lance either. But eventually they broke up. And after this, I think that that's when Sheila and Angela kind of started to get along a little bit more. Yeah. They started to bond over some of the things that they had in common once they started actually talking to each other. And they both found out that neither of them had a dad when they were growing up. And Sheila says that that's one of the main things that kind of, like, started their connection as yeah. friends but from then on they became like best friends Aww. they were like inseparable, inseparable. like they were yep. best best friends Aww. and so now we're gonna fast forward about two years and at this time angela ends up finding a new boyfriend she moves away from the apartment that she shared with sheila but she has her own apartment 
but her and Sheila are still really good friends. She still has this amazing life going on. She's got a good job. Her college is going well. Yeah. She's just thriving, truly. Yeah. And this new boyfriend, his name is Ben McCall, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit older, but he worked in construction, and according to Ben, their relationship was, and I quote, comfortable and exclusive. There was very little tension in our relationship, and we would spend all of our free time together. Aww, so, like, they were so just, sweet. like, they really, she really was, like, in her place in life. Like, yeah. I don't know how to word that. She was, than... like, finding her way, like... She like you said, she had a great job. Now she's got this nice, kind boyfriend. Yeah, Aww. and even her her stepbrother later during the investigation, because we we know that there's bad stuff that happens, and there yeah. will be an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, her stepbrother was saying that their relationship was significant, and that he believed that she had finally found the one. Oh my heart! I know. So here we are now. She's living. She's thriving, but. It has to cut short because she's in our podcast. So exactly. we know something goes wrong. Because <laughs> we're talking about it right now. So <laughs> nothing can ever be a surprise in that regard. No. Like it's not like it's, it's going to go bad. Yeah. As and, soon as you yeah. know who we're talking about, you know it ain't good. <laughs> so here's when it goes bad. Okay. Um. So the night of Angela's murder was on October 12th, 1984. So she was 20 years old. It was a Friday night, and Angela had plans with her friends, Russell Buchanan and Anita... Let me find her last name. Anita Kadala. Got it. Um, Angela had invited her boyfriend, Ben, to come along as well, but he didn't go because with his job in construction, he had to be up early. Mm-hmm. And so he just, just decided that this night he wouldn't go. Got it. I'll sit this one out kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm assuming that Angela probably would have invited Sheila to come as well. A, she probably wouldn't have wanted to go because of who Sheila is. Yeah. And B, Sheila was actually out of town when this happened. She was home visiting her parents in like a whole, I think another state. Um, so her and her two friends, Anita and Russell, they decide they're going to go to the state fair. And then after that, they're going to kind of go out for like a night on the town. Yeah. They start bar hopping. Like everything goes well at the fair and then they go bar hopping and they end up at this place called the Rio Room. Rio Room. Got it. Um, and she called Ben, her boyfriend, at the Rio Room and asked him, like, hey, you should come join us. Like, we're having fun. Like, it would be totally fun. And still, he says, no, I gotta work I gotta tomorrow. Work, girl. Like, I'm not coming out tonight. We're not yeah. doing that. But on everyone's accounts of the night, it was fun. They were drinking, but they were not drinking excessively. Yeah. Because Angela was actually driving that night. So it didn't get out of hand. No. And I'm not sure on this part. Um, I'm not sure how she got in because she's 20. Mm. And as we know, 21 is still the legal yeah. age. Sometimes, like, when you're in the group, though, they don't always card every single person. Yeah. And I was looking it up, and literally only three months before this was when the legal drinking age changed from 18 to 21. Well, and even now, like, not so much in Utah, but in a lot of places, like where I'm from in Michigan, you can get in to mm-hmm. all these clubs and bars at 18. You just can't buy alcohol at the bar. Oh. So, like, my mom used to go to, like, a bar that was popular, and, like, I was allowed to go even before I was 21. If I wanted to, I just couldn't get any drinks because they would card you at the bar. So you just had to show your ID and be over 18. So maybe she could get in and she was, mm. like, pre-gaming or something. Maybe. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's... Especially with me only having ever lived in Utah. Yeah, the alcohol laws are, like, strict. Yeah. So I'm like, 
how did she do that? You're like, wait, what? How did she even manage to make that happen? Right. Um, But she was having a good night. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, she decided to drive her friends home like they had planned. And this is where we're going to kind of go over a timeline. Got it. So her friends agreed that Angela seemed sober enough to drive. And so first she drives Russell home. And he states that that was sometime between 1 and 1.30. And then right after that, she takes her friend Anita actually back to her own apartment. Mm-hmm. And the original plan was that they were going to have Anita sleep over there. But she changed her mind when she realized that um, Angela actually had a football game in the morning that she was going to. Oh, okay. And she was going to be waking up early and leaving. So, so she, she was probably like, was uh, like, fuck that. Yeah, I'm going to sleep I want to go to my own bed. I'm going to sleep in. Yeah. So they went back to her apartment to grab her stuff, like her curling iron yeah. that she had left there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming that this is kind of like a college town, and I don't know. It sounds like it. Like, when I went to college, I went to Dixie State, and mm-hmm. everyone's apartments were, like, right So close. There. So yeah. it's not surprising to me that the timeline is so tight here yeah going back from house to house to house mm-hmm. because i in my brain they're just like right there yeah close. i mean that's how my experience has always been at colleges it's like there are all these different apartments or dorms yeah and they're all within like it seriously feels like four blocks of each other yeah maybe a mile maybe but it's like the campus yeah so, so uh, that's why i'm not like too confused or like worried about how close the time frame is yeah so she drops off russell and then she goes back to their apartment to pick up the curling iron and then she takes anita back um to her dorm and then she says that's around 1 30 so that makes sense between 1 and 1 30 and then at 1 30 for anita yeah it would be quick so um and so after this angela makes a decision that she wants to stop by her boyfriend's house and say goodnight to him mm-hmm also that seems so cute first of all what the hell except for i'm i bet he was at least a little bit annoyed because he had to work and she's already woken him up she's already called him please come out yeah (laughs) that's not the shit i would do right (laughs) and then it's like i'm gonna go stop by just to say hi he's probably like (laughs) she knocks on his door and and wakes him up and he said he rolled over and he knows that he looked at the clock and it was 1 30 so it's like all right then um Ben says that she only stayed for about two minutes and they talked about how she was kind of like rubbing it in his face that he had to wake up early. <laughs> so okay, she, that's hilarious. She seems like a funny person. No, seriously. And so they were just like kind of like playing around for like literally two minutes and then she's like, okay, I'll let you go to bed. But right. Love you, bye. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I'll let you go to bed. Bye. <laughs> so then she leaves and she drives the eight to ten minutes from there back to her apartment. Mm-hmm. And... 15 minutes after she left so we have to think after she left it's an eight to ten minute drive then 15 minutes so 15 minutes after it's only a couple minutes after she arrives home she calls him and this is where it gets weird oh god so she calls ben and ben says she's acting really strange first thing he's like what is happening the first thing she says to him is talk to me oh god which like can you imagine like your girlfriend just goes home, it's the middle of the night, and then she calls you and goes, hey, talk to me. Oh, like, Jesus. Like, you want to think she's in a weird situation, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so he said that she sounds nervous, and that she keep, he keeps hearing weird noises in the background. And finally, Angela tells Ben that a man had come to her house and asked her if he can use her bathroom. What the fuck? And she let him in. 
Oh, and that's where honey, I'm saying, no. like, I'm not saying this is her fault because no, no. She, nobody chooses to be murdered. But this is where one of those things that we can talk about, like, you need to be kind of mean. Say, no, yeah, you're not coming in my house. 100%. I don't know you. You're not coming in. Like, so not saying it's her fault by any means, but, but that's it's a- definitely something mm-hmm. to learn from. It's definitely not uh, something. Not a great decision. No, but- not a great decision. And honestly, just not even into your home but pe- giving people rides home like you know yeah. just like Stranger that kind danger. of stuff yeah 100 percent. and with her being home alone too is even Ugh. scarier yeah that makes me upset so she tells him that she lets this guy in to use her bathroom and mm-hmm. she lives in like a condo and she's on the second floor mm-hmm. and he comes in and we only know this from the phone call yeah and she, he hears her saying to the somebody else, oh, the bathroom's down the hall. And then they were kind of just talking for like a very brief amount of time. And it's almost as if the person that was in her home was asking where he could find a payphone. Oh. Because okay. like this is 84. There's not yeah. like nobody really has cell phones. Mm-hmm. So he's asking about a payphone and she says, hey, like, like Ben, is there a payphone at that convenience store by, our, by my house? And he's like, well, I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. And then she relays that information back to him. And she says, okay, I'm going to call you right back. And then hangs up. Oh, no. And then that's it. Then we never hear back from Angela. She never calls him right back. And he starts calling her. Yeah. And she doesn't answer. She doesn't answer. She doesn't answer. So at this point, he's like, something's wrong. Something is not right. That's not normal. So he gets in his car and he drives to her house. Mm-hmm. He gets there, knocks on her door, and there's no answer. Um, the whole time, though, even though there aren't really, like, cell phones at yeah. this time, he actually has, like, a cell phone in his car for mm-hmm. work because he does construction. Oh, yeah, so he probably has, like, a satellite yeah. phone. So he's calling, and he gets, um, he is calling her and calling her, and she's not answering the whole time. He gets there, she doesn't answer the phone. And he calls her again, and you can hear her phone ringing in the house. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. And then, I don't know why he chose to do this. This is not what I personally would do. But he decides to drive to the convenience store that they were talking about Mm -hmm. to see if maybe she went there. Probably, like, like a little bit in denial. Right. You know, like, he's probably panicking, thinking the worst. And then he's Mm -hmm. probably sitting... Outside of her door and going, don't be fucking crazy. Like, don't be crazy. Yeah. You heard her say convenience store. Just go look. Yeah. So that's what he does. So he goes there, doesn't see her, immediately rushes back to her house and calls police. Yeah. Which, good job. So he calls them at 2.17 in the morning. So this is still happening relatively quickly. Yeah, really quick. Um, They arrive at 2.40, which I feel like we could have come a little sooner. Yes, But it's also, they don't know the severity of the situation. Exactly. All they know is, like, this dude's girlfriend's not answering the door. Exactly. So, police arrive at 2.40, and they try to open the door. It's locked. Same stuff that he found. They go to the back. Still can't get in. Um, They end up going to the property managers, and they get a spare key. Mm -hmm. They open the door. And right off the bat, they don't necessarily see anything that immediately stands out to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They did notice that one of her black heels that she was wearing when she went out was, one was in the living room and the other one wasn't nearby, Mm -hmm. which they thought was a little bit odd, but they weren't, like, immediately. Yeah. 
It wasn't like red super flag, red flag. It was like a yellow flag. Right, right. <laughs> so they're doing like a sweep and finally they get to the back bedroom where they find Angela and they find her on her bed, face up, completely naked, oh, covered in blood. Oh my Absolutely God. just covered. Like the one of the most violent, like scenes that you probably are picturing yeah that that's that god that's awful and so the like the lower half of her body was like dangling off of the bed Mm -hmm. um and it i'm gonna read what one of the officers said he described it as unlike any of the other assaults and murders that i've worked on the creep wow (laughs) the crime looked like the result of evil preying on innocence oh jesus like that's just disturbing it's just so upsetting like imagine like having to walk in was the boyfriend there too or was it Uh, they made him wait out front oh thank god and then um when they found him found her and told him he like tried to go in and they were like no like you can't go in there you don't want to see that yeah you can't go in there so luckily he was not involved and imagine if he had like broken into her apartment and found that yeah yeah so it's a good thing it happened as they did, and it's a good thing they had him yeah, wait outside for sure. Definitely. Um, the other officer that was on scene, she was young. It was a young female officer, like she was in her twenties, like fresh. Uh-huh. And she said that she remembers the body looking angelic and like a person that she could relate to. Oh, that's and so sad. She said she still remembers her bright blue eyes staring wide open oh that's so traumatizing yeah and then they also described this is just so sad i'm sorry it's okay they described that her wounds on her body looked as though she had had her heart cut out what the fuck that's yeah. pure evil just like that cop said like legitimate evil yeah so they have obviously they have the crime scene taped off they start running like looking for evidence mm-hmm and what they're able to find is not really that helpful. So they see that the there's a knife missing from the block, but mm-hmm. and they can't find it. And they don't have a murder weapon, but the wounds on her body, she was stabbed 18 times. Good lord. All through her, like, left, all of them punctured her left lung. And her heart. Some of them went, like, through her heart. Which is, like, deliberate, 100%, like like aiming to kill kill yeah Mm -hmm. so it was not pretty but they they did a lot of like investigation on the blood like splatter itself Mm -hmm. and they found a lot of like void areas on her body Mm -hmm. showing kind of where a person would have been covering oh like sitting over her yeah like like laying on top of her or something Mm -hmm. so that they could kind of from that, they were able to tell that it was a, a larger person. Yeah. Because of the amount of void space. Yeah. And then they were also able to, like, find that the knife that was missing matched the holes. It was just not good. But with the time that we're in, you have to remember, like, DNA wasn't really mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. And fingerprints existed, but it can be tough to yeah. retrieve fingerprints. And they were able to find, like, prints on her thigh Mm -hmm. and on her face in blood, but they weren't able to recover, like, a real print. But they were able to see, like, handprints and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they did have prints throughout the home, but most of them were just hers. Yeah. And they weren't really able to find anything of use. Which sucks. 
Yeah, so they, they did end up getting, like, a blood sample from, from the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, semen because she was raped because they could do blood typing and stuff like that. Yeah, because they could do blood like, typing. Narrow down a yeah. fraction, which will come in handy. Oh, good. Later, well, not really, but it, it's something that I thought was very interesting. Uh huh. So they have a, a blood sample, they have a semen sample, and they have fingernail sample from him. Mm-hmm. Um, if, with the investigation, initially they had four main people of interest. Yeah. Um, as you can assume, Ben. McCall, the yeah, boyfriend, of course, is the first person that they he's look to. He's gotta be, because he's the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, and you then have to start inside the circle. The second person is Lance Johnson, mm-hmm. the ex-boyfriend. Definitely, also makes sense. Um, the third person is a guy of the name Joseph Barlow, who was a classmate that had a pretty good crush on Angela mm. and had sent her some kind of harass. Like, harassing notes? Oh, like, a bit obsessive. Like, a bit too much. Like, yeah. he wasn't just, like, this sweet little admirer. Like, he was just a little bit... Yeah. Like, infatuated, per yeah. se. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was Russell Buchanan, the friend that she had gone out to the bar and the fair with, and that she had dropped off. Got it. So, looking into each of these people, like, individually, who yeah. do you think it was? If any. I would say, if I had to guess, the weird stalker guy... But only reason being is, um, I feel like if she called her boyfriend, she wouldn't have necessarily done that if it was somebody she knew and was like, you know what I mean? Right. That's my thought process, but I don't know. True. So if we go through each one, so Ben was extremely cooperative Mm -hmm. right off the bat. You think it was Russell? Okay. That's funny. Okay. (laughs) Let's go with those. I'm excited. Um, So Ben was extremely cooperative, and he was interviewed within hours. He voluntarily gave written statement, permission to search his home, his truck. He gave blood, saliva, and fingernail scrapings. But Bun, Bun, <laughs> uh, Ben's blood type did not match, so it was not Ben. And I was gonna say, even if he was super cooperative, like lots of guys can be cooperative, they can be. even though they, because they want like the eyes to be off of them right but. um but no his blood type was not the same he was ruled out and then lance he he's the ex-boyfriend the ex-boyfriend yep so he admitted when they were like going over like their history and stuff he admitted to having been abusive and like pulling a knife and being violent towards well, angela in the interesting. past but um he actually had a really good alibi Damn. and he was five hours away Oh shit! So, yeah, wasn't him. Also, his his blood type didn't match either, right? So then we get to Joseph. Um, this is something I never knew anything about. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard about a non-secretor Mm-mm. and a secretor? Like the difference between that? Mm-mm. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos on it because I was like, "What the hell does that even mean?" Yeah. So apparently, eighty percent of the population is a secretor. 20% is a non-secretor. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, obviously an estimate. Yeah. Um, but basically what it means is, like, your blood type and, like, the sugary, like, coating around your blood cells that, like, makes up your blood type. Mm-hmm. In 80% of the people, it's secreted through mucus, sweat, mm-hmm. saliva. Like, so you can tell a blood type through bodily fluid other than blood. Interesting. And in 20%, you can't. 
What the hell? Yeah, I didn't know that. I've never heard of that before. I hadn't either. And I, like, spiraled, like, <laughs> researching this I would shit. Too. Apparently, you can also, like, people have, like, diet plans that are, based like, on based that? on your, like, blood type. And if you're a secretor or a non-secretor, if you're A what? or B or and what your body digests better and... I got really deep into the science of secretion, like you went blood a, type secretion. You went down a black hole. I did, and it's really not even that that important in this case. But, but it's it, so fucking I heard interesting that term, and I was like, "What the fuck is a secretor?" That's a weird way to word it. Yeah, <laughs> they find any better word other than secretor, non secretor. <laughs> Sounds gross. But... So, with that being said, <laughs> so we have to think back. The body, she so there were semen found in her body, mm-hmm. and. Although it's pretty obvious that she was raped, you can't, like, definitively say that with her having, like, a boyfriend and they were sexually active. Oh, my active. God. It's like that and case. I, have my sh- I was listening to <laughs> My Favorite Murder. Remember we talked oh, about this? Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember They were one. saying that uh, she couldn't be determined to have been raped. And they're raped. like, couldn't they just ask her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, sorry. <laughs> Side check. Um, but yes. That yeah. makes sense to me. So they are not only testing blood, but they're also testing the semen. And they're not, in from my understanding, they're not trying to necessarily link that the blood that they gathered and the semen were the same person. Mm-hmm. Because that's, they can't necessarily say that. Yeah, at this so, point in right. the world. So with that being said, when they're looking into Joseph, it turns out he's a non-secretor. And this is the stalker guy. Not Just quite a stalker, the, but... The in-love classmate. Mm-hmm. We can call him. So he's a non-secretor. So meaning they could not necessarily rule out that the semen wasn't his. Uh-huh. Because they can't They can't tell. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and like DNA is not a thing. Exactly. So they can't... So maybe, sure, he didn't fit the blood type, but they can't say for sure that the semen wasn't his. Right, right. Um, and then we get to Russell, and in immediately when the investigation starts, police want Russell to fit this case. Yeah, they want him to be the one. Um, they kind of paint this picture that he was the friend that wanted more. Oh, and like an admirer as well. Yeah, that like wanted to be wanted more of a relationship than. What she did. Than what they had. Yeah. Um, But he was really, like, cooperative. He volunteered blood, saliva, but he was also a non-secretor. So they could not rule out that the semen wasn't his. They Interesting. Couldn't. And I'm just, I'm just surprised that it took me this long into true crime to figure out that that was a thing. I have no fucking but idea. But it's probably that. because of DNA now. And we just yeah. rely on that back well, in the day. Well, we cover a lot of cases from, like, 60s, 70s, 80s, you think. And blood typing, I want to say, started in the 80s or 70s. So yeah, it's like, know. you'd think that this would I don't know. have come but up it, at this it point. It just shook me. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So, although the police really wanted this to fit Russell, where's the evidence? Yeah. They don't have it. Like, they, there's just no way to tie him to it. And that's kind of where it ends. Really? That's it? They don't have an answer. Like, they aren't able to... They for sure say that um 
sorry, I had a bubble. It's okay. They for sure, sure <laughs> sorry, say that. I had a bubble. <laughs> I just like couldn't talk. <laughs> um, they for sure say that Ben and Lance are not yeah, guilty. They're definitely ruled out, but then there were two. But then Joseph and Russell, like, sure, maybe it wasn't their blood, but they weren't really completely ruled out. Damn. But they can't also completely rule them in either. Right. So it just kind of goes cold. And what the hell? With this, like, the whole case in in general, Sheila took the whole thing terribly. Her yeah. best friend. Absolutely. Um, she was at home when she received a call from one of her one of Angela's sorority sisters. Mm-hmm. And she said that, like, if you listen to interviews from her now, she said that she literally just started screaming. Jesus. And that her mom came in and she couldn't even tell her what was wrong because she was just like she just couldn't even she speak. couldn't be like consoled. Like she was distraught. So sad. And it like broke her as a person. It like, truly permanently. did. I can't either. Yeah. And she said that she dropped out of school and moved home with her parents. Like she couldn't Plus, continue be, like, going to school there. She couldn't fucking terrified. That's a big thing. She with it not being solved, she lived in fear like every day. Like, and what even, if he knew me too? Like Well, even with it being solved, I think she would be afraid. Yeah. Like, even if they caught the person who did it at the time. Definitely. You would still be afraid that, like, this could happen to me, too. Like, I'm afraid it could happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know? No, like, it's, it's not even really someone good. I knew. But it basically just, like, wrecked she- like Sheila. Yeah. Um. However, like, she still had to live on. Like, yeah, she had to keep on keep trucking. On going. Shit. Sorry. Um. But about... We're gonna fast forward. Mm-hmm. It's about a decade later, so early 90s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, like, 94. Um, I There is a very, very famous case happening in the world, and you know it, and it's the O.J. Simpson oh, trial. Oh, shit. So this case is happening, and we know that DNA was kind of, like, a, a big part of that case. Yeah, absolutely. And little Sheila, who never let it go, mm-hmm. is sitting at home, and she's watching the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. And she thinks... That could we could use that, the DNA. Go we fucking use Sheila. That. We could use that for Angela's case. We have samples. We can do that. Fuck yeah, dude. yeah. Like fuck yeah. Like she holds the highest standard as a friend. Yeah. And if I ever die, you better be my Sheila. All of you. You like, better be my <laughs> Sheila. Like, I just need someone to be my Sheila. Like yes. really, everyone should be this concerned for every case. Even I know that'd be exhausting. A decade but... or more later, like. If something traumatic like this happens in your friend group or in your family, like, I hope to God people don't let, let, it, go. let it go. So, just you wait. You haven't heard how, like, truly awesome Sheila is. Like, we oh, love her. Sheila. So, she sees that and goes, let's, let's use this. And she starts calling. Not really calling. <laughs> she starts bombarding the Dallas police department good with phone calls like hundreds to reopen the case love that literally hundreds of phone calls like they're probably like fine no so what had happened what they didn't do that they were ignoring her so what sucks is like she actually ended up becoming good friends with one of the detectives on angela's case when the case was happening Mm -hmm. and like he even went to her wedding and stuff like this like they were pretty close and so she starts calling him like this 10 years later after the case and he does never call her back. He doesn't listen to her. Some fucking friend. Yeah, like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, 
Who the hell? So they they just don't care. They basically tell her like this case is cold and it's cold for a reason and it's we're not gonna open it. Where you don't understand like what you're getting into. Like this isn't like, like let it go. Yeah. And she ended up calling so many times that they even like made up a lie to her at one point and told her that the files were lost in a flood. Oh my god, that's pathetic. Yeah. Like and really she didn't care. She was like, like we're still they are. gonna do it. Like, you better listen to me. Better remake them. And <laughs> <laughs> so, and she eventually ended up finding, like, this organization that helps with DNA and, like, cold cases. Yeah. And she reaches out to them, and they still don't take her seriously either because she's not in the police force. And, like, who are you? Yeah. You're just some lady that is distraught about her friend dying. Oh, my God. So, what does Sheila think when she's like, why won't these people take me fucking seriously? Yeah. Can you guess what she does next? No. She becomes a private investigator herself so that that they can't ignore her so that she can just fucking do it herself. Oh, my God. Go, Sheila. I feel like every family and friend group needs needs a Sheila. Yeah. Like, so... She becomes a private investigator. She gets her own license. Mm -hmm. And she starts going over the files herself. And she's still pushing and pushing. And finally, like, they're like, this fucking lady. Yeah. The case gets reopened in 2008. Hell yeah, Sheila. Like, how long did it take her? Like, what, this happened in 64? I mean, 84? 84. 24. Four years later, it was reopened. What the hell? Because of Sheila. That's dedication right there, though. Yes. Like, that's somebody that's like, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'll spend my whole goddamn life, like, literally bothering you. Like, if something like that happened to, like, you or um, Jason or something, or even something my family, like, anybody close to me. Not you, Paige. I'd be like, <laughs> huh. <laughs> I would literally, like... Never stop. Never let it go. I could never. No. I would literally like camp outside of the police station. Same. With a megaphone and would be like, Good morning. <laughs> hey, it's your daily um bother from me. Hi. Yeah, like seriously. So in 2008, congrats, it was finally reopened. Mm-hmm. And it was assigned to a lady named Linda Crump. And together they kind of just start going over the DNA. Like yeah. that's the first thing they focus on. Mm-hmm. But it took longer than Sheila had anticipated, which sucks, but at least it's moving. Yeah. So with a backlog on the DNA, it took over, it took two years, I want to say, till 2010 to, to even receive their results. And when it came back, it did not match any of the people. That, Wait, seriously? Yep. Yeah. So they were just completely off. It did not match any of the people of interest. Okay. But, That's frustrating, but at least it's progress. There's a match. There's a match in it. It like there is somebody. Uh-huh. And it came back to this man, and his name is Donald Bess. Huh. And he is currently in prison, like at the time of the match, uh-huh. for rape and kidnapping. Unsurprising. Of, a, of a, another young woman. Um, it turns out that he was arrested a few years before and for a rape case before um the murder of angela Mm -hmm. but was out on parole great guy uh fucking stellar and then he ended up unrelated to angela going back and was serving i think i want to this is might be wrong this could be fake 
25 year sentence mm-hmm. after that. But so it's just like in this brief gap, he committed he this. committed this crime mm-hmm. supposedly. Jesus yes. Christ, the DNA matched him to it. Yeah. So not much arguing in that no, regard. I mean, it's not always right, but it's right. And he was in the area, and he was on so parole. So fits perfectly. Yeah. And when you talk, like when you talk to him, as if I've ever talked to him. <laughs> when you talk to him, <laughs> when they were talking to him. <laughs> I don't I'm know sorry. where some of this stuff comes out. <laughs> it just comes out. Um, um, they were talking to him, and he was saying, like, he was kind of going over a recount of, like, the women he had talked to while he was on parole, because he was trying to say that he wasn't guilty. Yeah. And, trying to cover for it somehow. Um, oh, so he's like, so there was Angela, there was, like, what the <laughs> Well, he fuck? was saying, like, well, I was talking to this one lady, and she was from California, and she was in town from a foosball tournament. Ew. And then, um, like... Oh my god! And then dude. he says, "This is where I think he was talking about Angela, but in a way that kind of gives a little bit of the truth, but not the full truth." Yeah. Where he says, "And then there was this girl from this bar, but I don't really remember much else about her." Yeah, one hundred percent. Because he could like, remember a foosball tournament and where this lady was from for all these other people, but then it was this, this one, one lady from the bar, but I don't really know anything about her. He totally fucking stalked. So her. what I picture in my brain and what the. I picture that he saw her at the bar, uh-huh. but what the the prosecutors end up saying during the trial mm-hmm. was they believe that what happened was Sheila went out, she dropped off her friends, like they said, she went to her boyfriend's, like she said, she went home, she got a knock on the door, it was Donald Bess at her door asking to use her bathroom, she let him in because she was kind, and mm-hmm. she was trying to help, and that's when he took her phone or whatever after she said she'd call him her boyfriend right back yeah murdered and raped her yep 100 and then left and that's what i believe happened 100 percent for sure and he is now on death row he doesn't have an execution date yet mm-hmm. but Jesus. he will and for what like sick twisted fucking fantasy like yeah obsession like with women like ew for what that's so sad and like her life like she was thriving like she was about you took all of that away for for what 20 minutes of being fucking gross like it's not even for something good like oh my gosh but she has justice yeah at least which is what matter i mean in this kind of a thing this is because of sheila do you want to talk more about sheila because we will oh yes we do get to yeah she has like, we want to talk about what she's doing now. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, she, I'm, I'm just so excited. I love her. <laughs> so, her original plan was she was going to retire from being a private in- investigator after Angela's case was finished because that was the whole reason she became one. That was her only purpose in yeah. becoming a private investigator. But so many people had reached out to her for help yeah. that she's continued it. Oh, Sheila. She now owns her private investigation firm, and it's called Without Warning Private Investigation. And she only takes a couple cases a year, only murder cases, only cold cases. Oh, my God. That's, like, the most dedicated thing. I just love her. I love her. And this part is my favorite. Want to know what else she does? What? She has a true crime podcast. Does she fucking really? Without Warning is her true crime podcast. What the hell? I have to listen to that now. So, love her the most. 
Damn. I aspire to be a Sheila, to know a Sheila. needs to find Zen and also be a Sheila. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need in life. And she is, I want to say, solely to thank for the solution in this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure, maybe also Linda that helped in the reopening. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely other people, like, in... But it would not have happened. Once it got reopened, there were tons of people that helped, but it never would have gotten reopened if it wasn't for her. It probably wouldn't have. No. Oh, my God. It would be sitting in a file somewhere. And who knows? Maybe Don... I don't really know the um, specifics of his other, like, conviction that he had. Maybe he would have gotten out. He could have, you know. I mean, twenty five years if that was even if that was a the real one, but close guess. But even if it's not, it's like it wasn't life. I feel like you would have remembered that. You right. know what I mean? So he definitely was scheduled to get out eventually. And if the first case was rape and kidnapping, and the second crime he committed was rape and murder, it was only going to get worse. From and we only there. know if that's those are the first convicted. Like who exactly. Knows? And if he came out of prison who knows like she might have saved other people's lives by reopening this case Mm -hmm. absolutely so like she legitimately participated in getting a fucking murderer put in prison for the rest of his life where he belongs damn so as sad as this case is i definitely think it's important to talk about yeah that's like why i was so excited to tell you like can you like imagine It's so fucking upsetting. Like, I know we spent literally five minutes already talking about this, but I'm going to keep going because it's... You want to. so (laughs) fucking difficult to be a woman in this way. Like... Yeah. You aspire to be nice and kind and bubbly and you want to help people and you see the good in people and it gets taken advantage of in literally the worst fucking way possible. And it's just like what else is there then you know like you can't even be a kind and welcoming person because then awful things happen happen. to you and people say see you shouldn't have done that and i mean don't get me wrong she shouldn't have done that unfortunately but it's because it's the sick fucking world we live in that but it's not her fault that that's god no not at all oh i want to hear something just like just disturbing yes in the trial um Donald's side, they were trying to say that literally they were trying to fucking victim blame. Of course. And say it was because she was so outgoing and she was a tease and did you see what she was wearing? They said that. And it's not like this part of the the trial was going on in the 80s. This was in 2010. Yeah, this isn't like it's we can use the excuse of the history or whatever. No, like they were talking about like what she was wearing that night. She was wearing a black silk like jumpsuit and black heels <laughs> okay and like okay she was out at a bar like even if she wasn't out at a bar maybe she was at the grocery store who cares that's such bullshit like, they brought that up as a legitimate like excuse or argument was that she was a tease because of the type of personality she had and what she was wearing that's the okay how is she thing. teasing anyone in her home yeah (laughs) she's in her home in her literal house alone yeah what a joke luckily that lost that didn't get them far he still lost so that's good good. but it's pisses me off that kind of thing is still brought up in 
It's kind of... 2010. I was, I don't know if I was watching something or listening to a podcast or something, but it kind of got talked about the idea of, like, defense attorneys lying, and I don't mean to talk shit about defense attorneys, because they literally have to exist, and There's it's, a purpose for them, It's for sure. a super important job, and finding the truth means two sides have to be looking for it. Yeah. But there's just something about... The idea that defense attorneys can fabricate these stories, and I mean, prosecutors do it too, but it's like the Casey Anthony case where the defense's major argument was that Casey Anthony's dad was molesting her, even though there was no evidence to support that. That claim had never been made ever before, except during her trial, and it's like the idea that defense attorneys can just make that shit up. And so it's kind of like in this case, the fact that they can just say whatever they want about her, her personality, and they can spin whatever to fit how they want it to fit. Yeah. Like these narratives and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. Want to hear another fun fact about Sheila and then I'll be done talking about how much I love her. (laughs) Please. Apparently after, Sorry, oh, keep the table. My bad. Um, I hit it too. Look at us go. We're so good. Um, apparently, after Donald was found to be who it was, mm-hmm. um, she reached out to Russell, who basically everyone thought it really was for twenty four oh, years. Poor fucking Russell. I know. She reached out to him and apologized for ever like for suspecting him. And Aww. he wonder what he said. What he said? That's okay. I'm grateful for you, for like trying to find the answer for yeah. her. Instead of just accepting that it was... He didn't even care that he was suspected for 24 years. He was like, good, I'm grateful that she had somebody fighting for her. Aww. That was so sweet. Makes me want to (laughs) cry. That is heartwarming, but it's like such a combination of feelings. I know. It's like, aww. 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 (laughs) True crime is crazy in that regard. Like, it's kind of like the cases like the Amber Alert and stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. if you've never heard of where Amber Alert comes from, it's based on a really crazy case where the mom just wouldn't let it go and didn't want something like that to happen to someone else's kid, where it's like something traumatic happens, but... I mean, now you've got an amazing woman like Sheila who literally dedicates her life to helping her families. life. (laughs) Yeah. So, Jesus. That's why I love true crime, though. Because, like, it's an awful story, but there are stories out there that good comes from it in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And there are, like, like, in this case, too, like, the important lessons that can be taken away from it, too. And my case, too, of, like... yeah. You know, like, if you see a family member or a friend going through something like that, you need to be extra vigilant be loud. for them. Like, imagine if um, the mom in your case had a Sheila. Exactly. That, like, before anything bad happened, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. a good friend like Sheila that spoke out. That Definitely. tried hard. Not that, you know, you know what I'm saying. Just, like, yeah. an advocate. Like, exactly. We all need somebody to speak out. Yeah, to stick up. For victims well i wanted to make sure that we talk about with talking about domestic violence in this case i think it's really important to share national domestic violence hotline information you can call 1-800-799-SAFE which is 1-800-799-7233 if you go to the hotline.org there is actually a 
chat feature. You don't even have to make a phone call. You could literally That's cool. be at work on your phone. You could be at work on your work computer. So the person who you're afraid of can't track it. You can chat with somebody and they'll give you resources to help you get out of that situation. So super important if you, anybody listening to this or anybody that you know is going through something like that, the best thing that you can do, in my opinion, is provide them with the resources that they need to get themselves help. Absolutely. So, hell yeah. Share that stuff. Um, I'm going to post the link to this website for the National Domestic Violence Hotline on our Facebook page and our Twitter. You can follow us at Between the Crimes um, on Twitter, Instagram, all of the socials. Facebook. Yep, Facebook. You can search us. And then... You can find our podcast on Patreon if you're a Patreon subscriber, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll also link Sheila's podcast. Hell yeah, we will. Absolutely. Um, And then in the bio, when this episode publishes, if you're on Spotify, you can look at our our biography below and you'll be able to see some of our references. You'll be able to see Sheila's podcast website and things like that. So, hell yeah. Word. Cool. Thank you guys for listening. I liked it too. This was good. I feel good. All right, guys. Well, I hope everybody has a great weekend. For everybody that was listening live, thank you for joining us. And everybody, have a great fucking day. (laughs) Bye. Bye.